Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send us an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. In this message, Pastor Chad Gilligan continues his series called Before and After. Through this series, we will learn about the biblical principle of the change that happens in our lives before God and after his work in our lives. If you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. We're in a series of messages that we're calling Before and After. We're talking about the fact that because of what Jesus did for us, we are not who we used to be. Our lives are changed. And last week, we looked very clearly at this whole idea of what we were before God came into our lives and then what we were after we've experienced his grace. So we looked at that comparison, talked about those things. And in this whole idea of a before and after, we're kind of using as a... I don't know, a place for us to have a hook to hang this on, kind of as an example, the whole idea of home renovation and how you can take a a home and look at what it was before and go in and do some work and after it goes from being maybe kind of a a dump to a masterpiece and you can watch this happen. And you see it on TV all the time with these different uh, home renovation programs and I did not really grow up on HGTV like some of you have. Um, But the first show that I ever watched that was kind of really like this, do you remember Extreme Makeover Home Edition? Do you remember that show? How many of you ever watched that? Extreme Makeover Home Edition. That's what I figured. Everybody who wasn't in a cave, you saw that show when it was on TV, right? It was everywhere. I mean, it was a big deal, and you'd watch it. And if you remember the show, what they would do is they would, they would find some kind of family. The family would submit their kind of application or whatever, and usually they had some kind of hardship. There was, there was often some kind of form of sacrifice that they'd made or, or something that they were suffering. And as a result, they were not able to, to have the home that maybe they, they could have had or would have had or they didn't have the resource or whatever. So they would submit their application. Do you remember this? They'd submit their application, and then what would happen is if they got chosen, then this team of um, designers and carpenters and contractor people, they would, they would roll up in this big motorhome, this bus. Do you remember that? And they'd come rolling up to the house early in the morning, and Ty Pennington, who was the lovable, obnoxious host, do you remember him? Kind of a lot like your pastor. He would, he would go out there, and he would have this bullhorn, and he would go out, and he would stand in front of their house, and he would say, Calvary family, Paul, Joyce, Michelle, Keith, come on out, right? He'd wake them up in the whole neighborhood, and then people come out, and they'd hug them and tackle them, and they'd be like, oh, great, they're blubbering all over the place. And then they'd say, hey, we got seven days to change your world. And they would come in and they would, in seven days, they totally remake the house. Sometimes it was like they almost had to tear the whole thing down and rebuild it. And you'd watch it and you'd watch it to the end and you knew they only had seven days. And you'd be like, they're never gonna get this done. They're never gonna get this done. Are they gonna get this done? And you'd sit there and you'd get all stressed out. I've seen the show before. They always get it done, all right? So just settle down. They get through there. They, they do the whole renovation. And then the family comes back. Family's been gone. Family comes back. They have them stand out there in front of the bus. The house is behind the bus. They can't see the house. And then if you remember, there was that kind of immortal moment when the host would say, he'd yell. And everybody would yell. Do you remember what they'd yell? Yeah, they'd yell. Many of you should have been praying more and watching TV less. That you watch too much television move that bus. He'd yell that. Bus would move. People would cry. You would cry. How many of you ever cried watching that show? Yes. Thank you. Two honest men. Yes. Right? You just, you'd be so just kind of moved. And it was powerful because you realized everything changed for this family. Everything was different. 
because these folks came in and did for them something they never could have done on their own. They didn't have the money to do this. They didn't have the power to do this. They didn't have the strength to do this. They didn't have the context to do this. But when this group came in, they had the resource, they had the ability, they had the know-how, they had the money. They could come in and they could do for this family what they could never do on their own. Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine, Paul tells us the exact same thing. He talks to us about the extreme makeover that God can do in our lives. We call it salvation. And there's probably no other place in scripture like these two iconic verses that gives to us such a clear picture of what we would call the gospel or the good news or what it means to have Christ change our lives. Look at this, Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine. Here's what Paul says. He says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It's probably not in scripture a clearer picture of what salvation is, of what it means to be saved. And Paul gives it to us here. And what we're gonna look at today is really um, quite, quite, quite simple in regards to what scripture teaches. But I just wanna talk today about what salvation is. We use this word a lot. We talk about it in, in Christian settings. But what is salvation? And out of these two verses, we find a very clear definition of what salvation means. And we're gonna look at it in two different ways. Here's the first thing this morning that I want you to see from these verses. Number one, salvation is not from ourselves. Salvation is not from ourselves. We, we live in a self-made culture. We live in a world where we are sure to say what we have done and who we are. And the deal is that if we don't push it, if we don't promote it, how's anybody else ever gonna know who we are or what we've done? And in a self-made culture, this is something that we cannot make for ourselves. We cannot make forgiveness. We cannot make righteousness. We cannot make salvation. Salvation is not from ourselves, which causes us to ask for a question. Why do we even need it? Why, why do we even talk about this? Why do we even need salvation? Why is it important? Well, last week we took quite a bit of time to, to look at this, and we looked at the idea of what we were before God. And we saw from the first part of Ephesians chapter two that before God we were dead. You remember that? We were spiritually dead. There were things that we could not feel, that we could not see, that we just could not understand. The way it's explained sometimes is it's like there's this hole in our lives, and the only thing that can fill it is God. And if you're honest with yourself, if you'll, if you'll slow down enough, if you'll be quiet long enough, if you'll not try to cover up what's there, I think every one of us knows deep down inside there's something dead inside of us that can only be filled that can only be made alive by a right relationship with God. You, you might not even be able to de describe it or define it or express it. You just know that there's something that you need. That's why he says that we're, we're dead without God. He says that we're lost without God, that we're busy. You remember we used that little red dot last week on the platform that we chase things around that really don't last and then as a result of all of that, what we've done is we've walked away from God. We've run away from God. We've, we've disobeyed him. And God isn't mean. God's not angry. God's not out to get you. But God's righteous, and he does what's right. And it's just like when someone breaks the law, and you expect them to receive the punishment that's due them. When we break God's law, we can't help it, but there's going to be consequences. There's, there's going to be things that are going to happen as a result of that. And so we all are doomed to experience God's wrath. 
Not because God's mean, but because of what we've done, because we've sinned, because we've all transgressed against God, we have that coming on us. And we, we compared that to kind of like a storm that you see on the radar, right? That's hovering over your house, and there's nothing you can do about it. You're doomed by that storm. And that's where we find ourselves. Before God, we were dead, lost, and doomed. And what we need is salvation from him. And we can't get it for ourselves. Here's a couple of thoughts that's good for us to consider. One is this, that we cannot work for salvation. We can't work for salvation. We can't live good enough. We can't do enough good stuff to try to earn that. If we've established the fact that without God, before God, we're doomed, then what we need to be saved from is that wrath, from that consequence of our sins. And so what we naturally want to do is try to earn it. I'm good enough. I can make this happen. And as a result, we need to realize we cannot work for salvation. You can never earn favor with God. Look at this, a couple of, a couple of scriptures. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Listen to what Paul says. In talking about their works, he says he wants them to compare that to how they want to obey the law. So he says this, yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ and not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Jesus Christ so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. Do you think he wanted to talk to them about obeying the law? It's there three times. Why? He wants them to see it's not going to cut it. You doing your good deeds, you working hard is not Enough. Romans chapter 3, verse 20 says this, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. See, when we try to measure ourselves up by doing, by doing good things, we don't necessarily feel good about ourselves. What happens is we begin to realize how many times we fall short. There, there was this idea in ancient Judaism that at the end of time, angels would come and they'd have scales. And on these scales, they would take every good deed that you've done, and they would take every bad deed that you've done. And then they would see which one weighed more. And your hope was that your good deeds would outweigh your bad deeds, and then as a result, you would be able to go to heaven. But if your bad deeds outweighed your good deeds, right? And this was the concept. And Paul's writing them here and saying, look, that's not truth. That's not reality. That's not biblical. The concept isn't that you just want to do more good than you've done bad. And that ancient Jewish concept is one we believe in today, right? You ask somebody, do you think you'll go to heaven? Uh, yeah. You go to a funeral? Somebody's passed away? You say, what, what do you think happened to them? Well, they're in a better place. Why? Well, because they, they did more good things than they did bad things. Have you ever heard that? You ever thought that? You ever talked to somebody? Well, you know, I'm not a bad person. I mean, I've done some bad things, but I've done far more good than I've done bad things. I'm not Hitler, right? Isn't that what everybody says? That's the ramification. I'm justified because I'm not as bad as Hitler. What Paul's saying here is, look, that's not the way this deal works. He says, you can work as hard as you want. You will never earn salvation. Here's the truth. Our good deeds can never outweigh our sin. You put them on the scale. The truth is this. As soon as you stand before a righteous God, your sin makes it so that you can't. Um, let's say it this way. You ever been outside and tried to look right at the sun? Can you do it? Not without consequence. I mean, you've got to shield your eyes. It's too bright for you. 
God's too great for us because of our sin. And you can't deal with that on your own. You can't work that off. You can't do more good to pay for the bad. Paul says, look, you cannot work enough to get salvation because your good deeds can never outweigh our sin. Here's how Isaiah described it in the Old Testament. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. Truth is, we cannot work for salvation. Nor, and I think this is important for you to recognize, we cannot boast of salvation. We, we want to come prideful sometimes in who we are and in our um, selves, in maybe our own righteousness. And Paul's saying real clear here, he says, look, it's not by works of righteousness so that no one can boast. He says, you, you can't boast in your salvation. You can't boast in what God has done for you because it's really not about you. And, and I guess this is really culturally important for us. And I hope I don't offend you by saying this, but have you realized that we live in a culture of arrogance? We live in a culture that is completely saturated with me trying to make you think about how great I am. If you think about it, look at our athletes and how much there's that self-promotion. Whether they want it or not, that spirit is there to say, hey, I'm number one. I'm the very best. Have you seen that maybe anywhere in politics? <laughs> right? The way I understand it, I think somebody told me, the election, presidential election, is a year from now. This is going to be a long 12 months, right? Why? Because every newscast, every debate, Every headline is going to be about who's the best one, and they don't mind telling you who that is. There's kind of this culture of arrogance that comes with it, and I don't, I don't fault the candidates. That's our culture. That's our society. That's how this crazy thing works for whatever reason. So we live in a culture of arrogance, and here's what I want you to see. In our culture of arrogance, we are powerless to boast of salvation. In our culture of arrogance, we're powerless to boast of salvation. You didn't do it. If you want to get past sin, if you want to get past this, this doom, it's not going to be by anything you do. You can't work of it. You can't earn it. This is not just true in our culture. This is true in religion. Okay, so for some of you, you've grown under kind of that, um, that burden or that stress. And it doesn't really matter what denomination you were from or what, what your religious background is, because I've seen it in just about every kind of church. It's in, it's in religions outside of Christianity in what we may even refer to as, as false religions. And then I've seen it within church as well, where people feel like it's what I do that's gonna make a difference. I have to earn that salvation. I have to work for it. And so we set rules and regulations in front of us, and we try to strive for those things, and we feel good about ourselves based on those things, and we think if I can just do those things, then I'm gonna be okay and I'm gonna be covered. And for a lot of us, we've either lived under that pressure or maybe we've even believed that, that it's more based on what I do because oftentimes religion can feel like self-satisfaction. I'm satisfied because I tried to follow those rules. I did okay. And we begin to kind of get boastful about that. Paul says, look, you can't go there because that's not the way this thing works. The self-satisfaction of religion leaves an eternal emptiness because no matter how hard you try to work to do things right, that's not what's going to make a difference. It leaves an eternal emptiness. It came across this old, I don't know, you call it a legend, wives' tale, whatever it is, about a frog that falls into a bucket of milk. 
And this frog is in this milk, and it's going to drown, and it can't get out of this thing. And so what it, what it does is it just begins to kick and to swim furiously and gets its little froggy legs going, and it's kicking, 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 kicking. You know, it's just going, and it's frog and frog and frog, kicking, 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 doing this thing. And what happens to the milk is that the more that the frog does this, the milk begins to churn into butter. And then the frog churns the milk into butter and stands up on this butter, and he just hops his little froggy body out of there. And he's saved by all his kicking. And he did it. And then this idea is, and you'll hear it outside the church, and you'll hear it in the church, that if you just kick long enough, froggy, if you just work hard enough, you're going to make it. You're going to be okay. Now, the truth is, there's something to be said for perseverance, right? The Bible tells us over and over again that we should not give up. But if you think your salvation is going to come, froggy, by all the kicking that you do, you're sadly mistaken. Because that's not the way it works. You're never going to churn your way to salvation. That's eternal emptiness. Judges chapter 7 verse 2 tells this really interesting story about how Gideon is leading an army of people to go out and have God's people fight their enemy. And their enemy is huge while the army is kind of small. And God says to Gideon, you know this small army you have? I want it smaller. And Gideon says, God, that makes no sense. Because we don't stand a chance now. How are we going to go out there and win with only 300 men? And here's what God says. Judges chapter 7, verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. We do that, don't we? When we get on the other side of something, we begin to feel proud about ourselves. We begin to think that somehow we did it. We begin to tell ourselves that we made the difference. And the absolute truth is this. We cannot work our way to salvation. We can't boast our way into righteousness. We are powerless on our own. Galatians chapter 6 verse 14 says this. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. You are never gonna be able to work your way or boast your way to salvation. That's not the way it works. Salvation is not of ourselves. Here's the second thing I want you to see, though, that salvation is the gift of God. Number two, salvation is the gift of God. Go, go back and look at those two verses in Ephesians 2 and look at what Paul says. He says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Did any of you ever, ever collect baseball cards? Anybody ever collect baseball cards? Yeah, when I was a kid, I, I, I tried collecting them, you know, and you'd, you'd get them. And I was pretty sure that I was going to pay for college and go on a couple of cruises. Like, those things were going to be worth so much money that I'd be rich because I kept some baseball card. I cut off a box of Frosted Flakes. Do you know what I'm talking about? And so I had all those things. Really, very few people have been able to make much money off of baseball cards. Here's one that is, that is relatively valuable. It's worth 100 bucks, which is pretty good for a baseball card. There's a picture of it that you'll see on the screen. Let me tell you about the guys that are in this or, or on this card. It's worth about 100 bucks. It was a future stars card that came out for the Baltimore Oriole. There's three players. The guy all the way over to your right is Jeff Schneider. Schneider played one year of professional baseball, pitched in 11 games, and gave up 13 earned runs in those 11 games. Let's hear it for Jeff and his one season. <clears throat> Second player is Bobby Bonner, who played four years of baseball, but only appeared in 61 games with eight runs batted in and zero home runs. Way to go, Bob. Here's the third guy, guy in the middle. 
This future star played 21 years for the Baltimore Orioles and appeared in 3,001 games. He came to bat 11,551 times, collected 3,184 hits and 431 home runs, and he batted in 1,695 runs. Has anyone ever heard of Cal Ripken Jr.? Yeah. Why is this card worth anything? Is it because of Big Bob? Is it because of Jeff? That's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. <laughs> that card is only worth something because Cal Ripken's on it. What, what if you're Bob or Jeff and you go walking into the hobby shop and you used to see that card right there? I'm on that card and it's worth 100 bucks. <laughs> you're like, dude, congrats. <laughs> but it wasn't you. The truth is the value of that card does not come because of those other two guys. The value comes because of Cal Ripken. It is by Cal that they are saved. <laughs> Do you see where I'm going with this? Salvation is the gift of God. It's not you. You didn't do it. You didn't earn it. It came from him. So let me tell you what Paul says about this gift. He says first that the gift is by grace. It's by grace. We, we looked last week in Ephesians chapter two about how God's great love for us led him to have mercy on us. And as a result of that mercy, he gives us grace. And that grace came in a way that I don't, I don't think anyone ever could have thought or anyone ever could have seen. But the reality is that it's because of Christ's work on the cross, not our work. It's because of what he did for us, not what we've done. <clears throat> it's made all the difference. And you maybe have heard this story over and over again, but let me, let me remind you of it. We'll talk about it at Christmas here in a, in, a, in a few weeks. In a few weeks, I'm sorry about that. We'll talk about this at Christmas in a few weeks. But Jesus came to earth. See, he wasn't just some guy. He wasn't just some teacher. He wasn't just some mystical leader. He was literally God who came to earth in human flesh. Theology tells us he was fully God and fully man. And he came. And if you think about this, he left heaven for here. It's a pretty big step for somebody who didn't have to make it. He left heaven for here. I got up this morning and had to do something I hadn't done in a while. I had to scrape my windows. Anybody else? And I, yeah, you came to church too late. I had to do that this morning. And here's the deal. I left November heaven of this last week, right? For the reality of Toledo on earth in November. Imagine what Jesus did. He left heaven not because he had to. And he came to earth and he lived a life without any sin. He never did anything wrong. And yet he died an excruciating death. The Romans had perfected crucifixion. So when he died on that cross, don't think it was quick and painless. It's about as cruel an execution as anyone could ever experience. And he didn't do that because he was obligated to. God did that for one reason. Because out of his love for you, he had great mercy. And his mercy led to grace. Grace that came to you in what Jesus did on the cross. Look at what scripture says, Titus chapter 3, verse 3. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But... But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us 
through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Here's how Paul describes grace, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Watch this. Grace is the work of Christ, not of mankind. You couldn't earn it. You couldn't work for it. You can't boast in it. You've just got to realize it is a gift from God because of his grace for you. Grace is the work of Christ, not of mankind. Grace is the undeserved favor through what Christ did on the cross. That's what he's given to us. That's what we've received from him. And at some point, whether you already know this or whether you're hearing it really for the first time in your, in your, in your heart today, it's good for us to be reminded, isn't it? This, this is something that came to us without any effort, without any work of our own. It is a gift from God by his grace. You know, if there's, if there's something that you really need, and I, and I work hard and I get the money, and I go to the store and I buy it for you, and I put it in a box and I wrap it, or I, I have Rhonda wrap it, and then I bring that to you, and I give it to you, you had nothing to do with that gift. I did it. I'll take credit. <laughs> I did that for you. Now it's up to you to receive it. You had nothing to do with it. It was fully on my grace. But the question is, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to respond to it? It is by grace that we are saved. Paul says, through faith. We need to realize that the gift is through faith. It comes to us through faith in Christ Jesus, through belief in him. When I hear this message, how will I respond to it? When, when I understand what Christ has done for me, what am I gonna do with it? It is by faith. Romans chapter three, verse 28 says, for we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Let me, let me give this to you in just a couple of different ways. One is this, faith comes by hearing the good news. It's what we've done this morning. For some of you, maybe for the thousandth time. For some of you, maybe for the first time. What you've just heard is the good news of what Christ has done for you. And maybe you've heard it time and time again, but you heard it different today for some reason. Like it's stirring something inside of you where you either go, man, am I thankful for that? Or man, do I need that? Scripture says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And as we've talked about the word of God today, it stirs something in our hearts to say thank you for that grace because that's something that I need in my life. I need to have that. I need to experience that. And this faith comes by hearing the word of God and then the work that it does in our lives as a result of that. Here's a second thing that's so important for us to see, that faith is confident trust and reliance. Faith is confident trust and reliance. Let, let, me, let me give you an example. Most of you have probably been out in our atrium here in the building. You've been out there. You know that walkway that goes across the two halves of the building that's on the second floor? 
was that bridge that kind of goes across there. It was kind of an iconic part of the building when we bought it, and uh, it's just really kind of cool, and our offices are up there, so it connects our offices on the two sides, and so you have that, that, that large walkway, and I was up there the other day with some friends, and we were walking across, and I don't, I don't know, I guess maybe they'd never been on the, the bridge before, and we're walking across, and she looks at me, and she goes, do you do this often? <laughs> we're about halfway across. I'm like, I, all day, every day. She's like, oh, I don't know how you do it. I'm like, you want to lean over the edge? <laughs> See, I don't like heights. I think I've said that before. I don't like heights at all, but that thing doesn't bother me. I've been up there a lot. I've walked over it over and over again, and uh, it's not falling in yet, right? <laughs> I have faith and confidence in that thing. I have complete trust in it. When we bought the building, we heard things about how it was built, how it was reinforced. I've been over it over and over again. So when I'm walking over that bridge, I don't get about halfway and go, I don't know, I don't know. I just keep walking in confidence because I have complete trust and reliance on that thing. But for many of us, our faith in salvation is not like that. We know what Christ has done for us, but we spend an awful lot of time going, I don't know. Does God really did he really? Am I really? And then every time that you begin to, to struggle, or every time that you experience some condemnation, or every time the enemy tells you lies, you start to question whether this salvation thing is really real or not. I talked to somebody right after the first service, and they said, look, I've spent years wondering, is this thing really real? I mean, I, I believe, but I don't live like I believe. Faith is more than just saying you believe something. Faith is saying, I'm going to live like something's true. Complete confidence, complete trust. And every time that those doubts crop up, or every time that the enemy tries to tell you that maybe it's just not, or maybe you're just not, or maybe it's, you need to say, I stand on the word of God. And by faith, I believe that what Jesus did for me is real. And that my hope and my faith and my trust and my salvation rests on that truth. Does that make sense? Does that, it's key that faith is confident trust and reliance. It's not that I work to believe, but I know that what I believe works. And so I put my confidence and I put my trust in that. Faith comes by hearing the good news. Faith is confident trust and reliance. Let me give you a third thing that's really key. Faith is both momentary and ongoing surrender. Faith is both momentary and ongoing surrender. So, so let, me, uh, let, me, let me give it to you this way. For some of you, you've had this experience. You, you know what it is. Maybe you were in a, in a church service, or maybe you were having a conversation with somebody, or for a lot of people, it happened this way. You were sitting in front of the TV watching Billy Graham. Do you know what I'm talking about? And you're watching that, and at some point, something moves in your heart. You hear the good news, and faith comes by hearing, and you have faith to go, wow, I believe this. I think this is true. And you have in this moment, this, this moment of faith where you go, I need that. I need salvation. And it's not from me. It's only from this gift from God. And so I believe that. And so whether you're in a church service where you raise a hand or you walk towards an altar or you pray a prayer with Billy, I don't know what it is, but you have this moment of faith. And that's a beautiful thing because it changes us in this moment. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation, right? The old is gone, the new has come, that's awesome. But what happens for many of us is we say, I had my moment, Whew. now I'm good. And we walk out of that moment of faith and we don't live with any faith. 
The Bible tells us that what faith is, it's not just this momentary step of belief, but it's this ongoing process of surrender. It's not just one day where I say, hey, I've got it covered because I believe, but it's every day saying, God, I'm gonna live my life this way because I believe, because I have faith and trust in you. That's, that's what faith is really all about. I've got a friend that when he preaches, he describes it this way. I think it's, just, it's the best way that I've seen. He says, faith is, salvation is, when you say, Jesus, I give you the steering wheel of my life. See, for many of us, and we talked about this before, I'm happy to let Jesus sit over here in the passenger seat. Jesus, you can run the radio and the GPS. <laughs> but I, I get the, H, uh, the, uh, the heating and cooling, and I get the steering wheel. That's not faith. Faith is when you realize and you say, I don't belong in this driver's seat. Jesus, I'm gonna, I'm gonna scoot over and I'm gonna let you take the wheel. And I don't even like country music. <laughs> Some of you will get that later. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's the best picture. God, I'm not in control of my life anymore. You are. You take the steering wheel of my life. I'm going to live for you. That's faith. It's, it's not just in a moment. It's an ongoing, everyday process of saying, God, my life belongs to you. Because salvation is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God by grace through faith. There's this... Uh, story that's told about this guy named Blondin. He was a, a tightrope walker back in the day. And he would go and do all these crazy feats. When he was in London one time, he walked across a tightrope, and as he walked, he played a violin the whole time. He walked over Niagara Falls multiple times. One time he did it and got about halfway over and stood on his head. Another time he pushed a wheelbarrow across Niagara Falls blindfolded. Another time he went about halfway over with this little cook stove and made an omelet over Niagara Falls which is both crazy and I'm hungry at the same time. One of his kind of bolder, most well-known stunts is that at one time he started on one end of the falls and he had an individual get on his back and he walked across the falls with that individual on his back. And you can imagine the crowd is just watching this in disbelief as this guy does this whole walk. He gets all the way over to the other side and the crowd just goes crazy. They go nuts. They're cheering and, and people are going crazy. And he looks out at the crowd and he's like, thank you, thank you, thank you. And he looks out at a gentleman and he says, sir, do you believe that I could go back across those falls with you on my back? And the guy was like, absolutely. And he goes, come on, sir, we'll do it right now. And the guy said, absolutely not. <laughs> I'm not doing that. It's one thing for me to believe you can do it. It's another for me to say we're going to do it. And that's faith. Do you trust him or do you not? Because Jesus is no tightrope walker. He's the son of God. He's the Lord of Lord and he's the king of kings. He's never failed and he does not fall. And he has you not on his back, but he's got your back and you're in the palm of his hands. And faith says you either trust him or you don't because you're never gonna be able to earn this salvation by yourself. For it's by grace that we're saved, through faith. Not by works. It's not what we did. It's not our righteousness. We can't boast. It is the gift of God. And so here's how today works. 
Let's go back to where we started. What God wants to do in your life is an extreme makeover. What he wants to do in you is something you could never do for yourself. You couldn't earn it. You don't have the resources, but God can do it, and he wants to work it in your life. And here's how it is. For some of you, this message today was a really cool affirmation of the truths of Scripture. For others of you, it's as if I'm standing out in front of your house, and this message has been through a megaphone, and it's calling you by name. And it's saying, look, there is grace available and there is life for you and there is salvation. And even though you can't earn it, it's free and God wants to give it to you. And he's calling you by name and saying, you just have to come and get it. That's amazing grace. So here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I'm gonna ask you to stand just all throughout the room. Could we do that if, we, if, if you would, please? Chad, how do I find that? Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says this. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And Aaron's gonna lead us in that simple course, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. My chains are gone. I've been set free. And here's what I wanna ask you to do. If you know you've experienced that grace, can we, can we thank him for it today? Can we re- be reminded today of what he's done? Absolutely, absolutely. Let's praise him. And so as we sing this, thank him for his grace. But for some of you, you're standing there and you're going, but I'm not living like it or I've never known it. And today is the day when God wants things to change for you, when your before becomes your after, when you experience his grace in a way like never before. And if you need that grace in your life, as we sing this, would you open up your heart to God and allow him to do a great work in your life today? Aaron, would you lead us in this song of amazing grace? Thank you. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I found. Was blind, but now I see. My chains are gone. My chains are gone. Make that your prayer. My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy So two questions for you today. Here's the first one. How many of you can say, I've gone from before to after? I know it's not a work that I've done, but it's God's grace through faith at work in my life, and I've experienced his salvation 
And I praise God for it today. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Man, hands all over the room. That's awesome. Here's the second question. How many of you would say, Chad, maybe I've heard this before. Maybe I've even responded to this before. But I know that I have not allowed God's grace to change my life. And today, I need to go from before to after. I can't live the same way that I've always lived. And today, I need to experience his grace. It's not by my works. It's not by my boasting. It's not by my religion. But it's by his grace. And today, I need to put my faith completely, my life completely in his hands. I need him to be my Lord and my Savior, the one who forgives me and the one who controls my life. I want to give him the steering wheel of my life today. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Is there anybody here? Yeah, thanks. Thanks, man. Hands all over. Thanks. I want to encourage those of you that have um, had the courage to make this walk today because it's more than just a, a moment to pray a quick prayer, but you're saying, look, God, I give you control of my life. Yeah, I hand you the steering wheel of my life. I commit my life to you. Here's what I want to invite you to do for, for those of you that are at the altar, for those of you that are in your seats, if you're watching online or you're not at Torium 2, or if you're here and you know you probably should be standing down here, at least in this moment, it just, I don't know. Would you pray this prayer with me? Those of you that raised your hand either time, pray this with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus, for sending your son to die for my sins. I ask today that you'd forgive my sins, change my life. I give myself to you. I can't do it on my own. I need your grace in faith. I believe, I give you my life, in Jesus' name, amen. And for those of you that kind of made this step today, let me encourage you with just a couple of things. One, this is a room full of people who not only have done the same thing, but they know how critical this is in your life. And I think we should celebrate with them this morning, don't you? Amen, amen. For some of you, this may be the first time that you prayed a prayer like this. For some of you, this, this may be a time where you go, God, I gotta come back to you in this thing. Here's a couple of things. One, it's really important that you don't keep this to yourself, but that you talk with somebody about this. Maybe, and I see for some of you, maybe the person that you came with today or the person that walked down here with you, talk to him about this decision. Second, if, if you don't have a Bible that you can read and understand, stop by our Connection Center. Even if you have some questions, stop by there. There are friends there. They're ready to pray with you. We've got a Bible we want to give to you that's easy to read and understand and want to help you on this step of, of following Jesus with all your heart and with all your life. The other thing is this, both for those of us that are standing here at the altar and I think for all of us that are hearing this message, if we know the power of what it means to go from before to after, we should be sharing it with others. True? And so let's go out with just that commitment that we want everyone we can to experience this same grace. And so, Father, thanks for your love. God, thanks for the work you're doing in our lives. Lord, thanks for the amazing grace that takes us from what we were to what you've created us to be. Now, Lord, as we go from here, would you go with us? Lord, I pray for these that have made a decision to follow you fresh today. God, I ask that you would bless them. Let them know your grace and your mercy in a way like never before. As we go from here, send us out with your special favor and your wonderful peace. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Calvary Church. If you made that decision to follow Christ, we would love to celebrate with you. Send us an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org and let us know how God brought life change to you.